ushers. And Ryan, unbelievable, bro. I, um, I just commend you and, and I'm so excited for your future and have seen the work of God in you. And thank you so much. Can we thank Ryan? On the call? See, I wasn't even a follower of Christ when I was his age. And uh, as many of you know, it wasn't until Halloween night at a fraternity party that uh, I met Christ or Christ met me uh, that night. And six days later, November 5th, 1982, I found myself in the student union of my university to meet with a man to learn how to grow in Christ. And the question I had for him at seven in the morning, that's when he wanted to meet, uh, was this, what do I do now? Uh, see, I had been, uh, my first six weeks of college had not gone the way I intended. I went to a Christian group on Thursday nights, really just to keep a promise to my brother that I would, but I didn't know that I'd see people like you, people like Ryan, uh, normal people who lived supernaturally. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is blowing my mind with the stereotype of what a Christian is. And then the gospel was shared time and time again, and it was tugging at my heart. And the other factor in there was my sin was pulling me farther and across barriers that I promised God I would never cross. And I found myself doing things I was ashamed of and saying I would never do that. And I was doing that, and I, I couldn't stop the downward spiral. And so that Halloween night, it all came together, and I met Christ or he met me, and so five days later, I go to that Christian group meeting, and the MC of that meeting was a guy named Earl. He's a senior. He couldn't be any more different than me. I'm a freshman, business major, extrovert. Earl is a senior, engineering major, introvert. But he had Christ in him, and that's what I was drawn to. And so I said, Earl, Earl, something happened to me this weekend. I still didn't even know. I'm like, uh, can we meet? Can you tell me how, how to grow now? Like, something happened to me. And he said, meet me tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. So there I am in the student union, and I asked him the question, what do I do now? Behind that question really was these series of questions. I need a power outside myself, a power to change, a direct line to connect to God. I need this power to turn into the person I know God wants me to be. I feel like I've had this new start. How do I keep going in this? How do I stop the destructive behavior that limited me in so many ways? I couldn't articulate all that, but all that was behind. What do I do now? Earl was such an amazing steward of my young 18-year-old, brand new in Christ soul at that moment, because he could have put me in one of two directions. What do I do now? He could have sent me down a works route. Here's what you do. Or he could have sent me down a grace route. Open up, or if you have your message notes, page one, I want to show you a pastor named Andy Stanley gave language to this in the two directions for change, the two approaches to change uh, that Earl had before him and that many of you have experienced. Here's the first, the temple model, the temple model. Am I sounding okay out there? Yeah, good. The temple model uh, always has a sacred place. There's always one in the temple models. There's one approach to change. By the way, that's a temple in Israel, a model of the Jerusalem in Jesus' day. And guess where the sacred place was in Israel when Jesus was born? The temple. That's what this is named after. But some temple models, it's an elite level of consciousness for non-Christian religions. But there's always a sacred place or a sacred level where you can attain. It's where God dwells. And not everyone's allowed there. 
You only get access to the sacred place if you follow the sacred rules under the temple model, the do's and don'ts that promise access to the sacred place or access to the elite level. Do you know how many rules there were in Jesus' day into the religious system he stepped into? Over 600 rules that you had to hold. And, and then what do you do? Under this model, these rules are always interpreted by sacred authorities who interpret the rules and tell you what to do and what you don't do to get to the sacred place. And these sacred authorities love to parade the fact that they keep the sacred rules, even though they don't. They're hypocrites. But they parade the fact and they make it look like they're keepers of the rules. And what does this produce? A little switch here. Scared followers. Because under the temple model, you never measure up. And you either live with pride or with shame, but you always live with insecurity, always wondering, am I doing enough, the temple model? This is completely a human performance system. Let me be clear, this was never God's intent with the temple. It's what humans turned it into in Jesus' day. And these humans happened to be Pharisees and Sadducees. And lots of people, I had this conversation yesterday on the dog park. Have you discovered the new dog park in Redwood City? It's amazing on Main Street. It's really fun. And I met a man who's four days old in Rebid City, a four-day-old resident. Not, he's not four days old, but four days in Rebid City, moved from Burlingame. And he found out I was a pastor, which I might as well just said I'm a witch doctor uh, to him. But um, he's, you know, we started talking. He goes, oh, he goes, I'm really spiritual. I'm not religious. I'm really spiritual. And I say, I, this is my line now. You know who one of the most biggest critics of religion was? Jesus. Jesus wasn't religious, and that kind of raised his eyebrows. As a matter of fact, Jesus said things to the religious sacred authorities that would get me fired. I've told you before in studying Galatians, I could never say things Paul says. I would be fired by you. I would tell you this, Jesus, Jesus would never make it as a pastor in an American church today. Now read Matthew 23 sometimes. Here's what he said to the religious authorities, the Pharisees and Sadducees. His harshest criticism were for the religious people who followed the temple model. He said, you're not leading people to God. You can read it yourself, Matthew 23. He says, you're leading people away from God. Then he said this, you're turning them into twice the sons of hell that you are. Oh. You're putting burdens on their back. You can't even carry them, so you're burdening other people with these rules. Do this, do this, do this. Now, you have to go to Jerusalem to appreciate this, but it's on a hill, and surrounding one whole side of Jerusalem, the Kidron Valley, are tens of thousands of graves, caskets above the graves, tombs, sepulchers. They're all white. They keep them nice and clean. Jesus pointed to those and goes, you religious people, you religious authorities, you're like those whitewashed tombs. You're all clean on the outside. Yeah, you wear your robes, you do all this. He goes, but you're full of dead man's bones inside. Unbelievable. The temple model is a natural human tendency around the globe, across cultures. It's the natural tendency of your heart and of my heart. We gravitate towards the rules. We want to know what we need to do. That was the heart of my question as a brand new believer before Earl, 30-something years ago. And it's still my pull right now. It's alive and well in many Christian churches today. But Jesus came into the religious system to free us up for something else. The grace model. Look at the contrast here. The grace model, there's no sacred place. There's all access. 
Since followers of Jesus are the new temple of God, Jesus taught we bring the kingdom of God wherever we go. Wherever we go. So what this means is yesterday, the dog park became a sacred place because the people of God showed up there. In a jacuzzi across the bridge, we heard a story today about how the jacuzzi at the center became a sacred place. Uh, restaurants, cafes, cubicles, locker rooms, the sidelines of AYSO soccer games, on the trains, in the dog parks. It's all sacred when the people of God show up. You touch the mundane and it becomes holy. Because you're the people of God, you bring the kingdom of God wherever you go. So liberating, so fun to redefine areas and places for the kingdom of God. That's what we do around the world as a ministry. It's cross-centered, not people-centered, uh, not sacred rule-centered. People can't get over what happened on the cross in the grace model. They look at uh, our culture and where it's headed, and they're not consumed with that. They might be concerned with that, but you know what? The scandal of humanity for the grace model is not what any people do with their lives. The scandal that the grace model's caught up with is what Jesus did with his life. And we just can't get over it, that the perfect son of God died for us. And we're fixated on the cross. Not only that, but on the cross, we can't get over the fact that he said, it is, it is pretty much finished. The rest is up to you humans to do the rest. That's temple model thinking. It's finished. I've done everything you need to do. That's what you were talking about, Ryan. I'm so fired up by what you said. Under the grace model, there's a gospel authority. It's not about uh, sacred authorities. It's gospel authority. We love our Christian celebrities, don't we? We love to retweet when someone in Christ says something to prove our point. No, no, the grace model is all about a different type of authority, the gospel authority. Remember what we've read in Galatians 1? This is the part that would get me fired if I said this. Galatians 1, 8 to 9, you have your Bibles open, you can read there, you can listen and read at the same time, multitask. Remember how Paul said, oh, if an angel came to your church and preached a different gospel than the one I'm preaching, that angel can go to hell. What? Oh, Yeah. And if any human being comes and preaches a different gospel, they can go to hell too. If I come back and preach a different gospel, I could go to hell. What? Yeah. Jesus and Paul seem to believe in hell. What's he saying? The authority is not any human being. Because what had happened, these people infiltrated the Galatian church. And they, they were like peacocks, flaunting their religious degrees and this and that. And said, Paul isn't right. He doesn't have it right. And Paul's like, let's just hold it up to the gospel. Were they in line with the gospel or not? Our authority is this question, everybody. Don't worry about what Gary says. Don't worry about what Brian says. Don't worry about what any Christian celebrity says. Go back to the word and ask, where is that written? That's our authority in the grace model. And in the grace model, what does that produce? Freed followers. You saw a living, breathing example sitting in this chair, Ryan. There's something about their lives that's winsome. It's free. They're not bound. They're living. That's the grace model. I've got more stuff I added to it, but that's the bottom line of what Paul's uh, contrasting here. These, these Judaizers, they're called, if you read the book of Galatians, they came in and infiltrated and said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. You received Christ. Now let me put rules on that. And they put the temple model over that. And Paul was incensed in this letter. What's amazing to me is that God raised up 
the most unusual spokesperson for the grace model. No one would have saw this coming because he was the poster child for the temple model, Paul. It was him that really is the biggest proponent for this grace model in this book of Galatians. Now, all that to say, look where we are in Galatians 3. This is what the background of what Paul is so incensed about. By the way, before we go to Galatians 3, do you see temple model thinking and believing in your life? Am I the only one that you think God loves you more if, if you're a Christian? God loves you less because, if you're a Christian? Or I've got to do this. Here's, here's temple model thinking. I've got to go to church. I, I, I come in a little late to this gathering because I'm, I'm getting some protein in me and what have you just to get me through the day. And, and I'll inevitably run into people who are late and they think, oh, I'm so sorry I'm late. I'm like, I'm just glad you're here. Praise God you're here. We don't go to church. We are the church. And we gather. There's nothing sacred about this building. God's used this land for a reason. But there's nothing more sacred about this dirt than the dog park dirt when the people of God show up. Okay, do you get that? I would really encourage you this week to sit in page one and go, where is temple model thinking in my life? It's not that it's bad. It's killing you. And it never delivers. That's what I want you to hear. Oh, it may change your behavior. I, I grew up in a temple model life. It may modify some behavior, but it won't change your heart. It won't. Look what Paul says in Galatians 3.1. He says this, okay? And now we're going to go really slow. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What does Paul really think about temple model? Let me unpack this. You foolish Galatians. Here's what it literally means. You dear morons. It's true. Moros, the word for fool. Um, here's the force of the word. I, I, you know, I hope you've never had this experience. I've had it multiple times. Little child, you're going somewhere. You open the door. The child doesn't know what a curb is or what a street is or that cars go on the street and what have you. Twice, our, our kids have darted out of the, uh, the walkway, gone straight for the street, and a car's coming, and I see it. They don't see it. And so I'm screaming, stop! And they just stop on the curb. As the car goes by. And I run to my daughter and I hold her. She's a little girl. But I speak sternly to her. Don't ever do that again. That's the exact force that Paul's saying in you foolish Galatians. They were stepping into something. The temple model, this religious thinking. Do's, do's, do's. They were stepping into something that was going to kill them spiritually. Kill them. And this is amazing to me. 20 years after Jesus ascended, that's when this letter was written, just 20 years, the church almost released grace and went right back to a religious system. Then he says this, who has bewitched you? That's an interesting word, isn't it? Um, we don't get this so much here, but uh, in where Brian grew up and where others in the east in Minnesota, you ever heard the term deer in the headlights? Yeah. Uh, a deer's crossing the street and a car's coming. All they see is two headlights and they just freeze and they're beguiled by the headlights till the car comes and just runs them over. Paul's saying it's the same kind of word here. Someone's come in and beguiled you. The whammy's been thrown on you through this temple model. What is going up 
excuse me, what is going on with you? There's something about the temple model that is beguiling. It creates this false sense of security. It's alluring, but it never delivers. The reality is we have more of a relationship with rules than we do with God in the temple model. So what's the alternative? What does Paul do? How do we do the works of God? Here's what he does. Open up to page two. We're going to run through this fairly quickly. How do you stay grace motivated? Paul just says to them through chapter three, and I'm only going to get through three more verses, and then I'll email you the rest. If you get my weekly email, uh, I'll email the rest, especially about what role does the Old Testament play in our lives today as followers of Christ. That's coming via email. Paul gets into that in Galatians 3. Here's the first thing he says. He reminds them of who they are in Christ. Here's the first. Remember, you have a crucified Savior. You have a crucified Savior. Look what he says. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? This is really interesting. Before your very eyes, and if you're reading that, you're going, wait a second. They lived 30 years after Christ died. They were hundreds of miles from Jerusalem. Before your very eyes, they never saw Christ crucified. This is so key, everybody. Jesus, uh, when Paul came to the Galatians, he didn't preach uh, the, the teachings of Jesus. He didn't say, Galatians, here's the gospel. Don't do that. Do, do this. Be this. Do this. Be this. Do, be, do, be, do, be, do, be, do. He didn't say that. He came with a story of a God that came to earth who took on the sin that we committed and went before a holy wrath-filled God for the sin and absorbed the wrath that we deserved. He told the story of a love affair on a battlefield. That's the gospel. And the word literally is clearly portrayed is I graphically portrayed the cross to you. I put it up there. That's the story. He says, have you moved beyond that? You think you're all mature? These temple model people thinking, telling you, oh, the cross, that's like, that's like elementary. Come on, let's get on to bigger things. Paul says, no, never get beyond the cross, ever. Never forget that on a cross, a Savior died for you. He took on your sin. And he says, before your very eyes, the eyes of your heart, this had deep roots in you. Here's why this matters, okay? And I, I just need your best attention right here. The gospel is so good because if someone's willing to die for you, do I have your attention? If someone's willing to die for you, they're for you. There's a difference between the temple model and the grace model right there. In the temple model, God is portrayed as not being for you. So you better do this, and you better not do that, and you better do this, and you better not do that, and you should, and you should, and you should. Under the grace model, it sticks with the cross, and it's exactly what you said, Ryan. It just says, Jesus died for you. God is for you. And if you're in Christ, you never get over that. The eyes of your heart, you have a deep-seated uh, emotion and will and resolve to remind yourself of the cross time and time and time again. And then Paul says this, not only do you have a crucified Savior, you have an indwelling spirit. God is in you. This is unbelievable. Look what it says. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit? If you have your Bible circle, that, that's Paul's way of saying, did you become a Christian? Not everyone's born a Christian. 
we become Christians when God's grace is offered to us and we turn from ourselves and turn to that. So Paul, and when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit gets poured into us. Paul says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, by the temple model, or by believing what you heard, the grace model? Are you, and here's the moron word again, are you so morose? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Now, in the temple model, where does the Holy Spirit dwell? In the temple. In the Holy of Holies. And you can't all get there. Only uh, the sacred authorities get to go there. But in the, now watch this, in the grace model, where does the Holy Spirit dwell? This is unbelievable. Come on up here, bro. Sorry, he's like freaking out right now. That's okay. I love this guy. Tell everyone your name. My name is Ede. Ede. Ede is a follower of Christ. I am touching the holy right now because of who he is in Christ. That demands a different ethic for me and the way I relate to Eddie. He's not just my friend. He is my brother in Christ. Can we give Eddie a hand for that? The same is true for Missy. The same is true for Betty Ann, who left with your daughter. The same is true for all these people that look around. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We don't go to a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. We are looking at the places the Holy Spirit dwells. That demands a different ethic. You know what that means for my marriage? I'm just not married to a woman. I am married to a daughter of God. She's my sister in Christ and a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's powerful when you think about it, when we all come together, what this ethic does. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. And by the way, this is the context of this. Paul's talking about Corinthian living, people who, who uh, sexual immorality, crazy lifestyle, taking each other to court, gluttony, greed, all this was awry. And Paul says, okay, what is the motive I'm going to grab for to have you live purely. Am I going to give you shoulds and should? No, 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 no. I'm going to give you a deeper ethic. And he says this. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who's in you, whom you receive from God? You're not your own. Grace, grace, grace. Paul says, do you have an indwelling spirit? And then lastly, he brings them back to an experience. And he says to them, You have an undeniable experience. Look at verse 4 and 5. Have you experienced so much in vain? Now let that sit. And I really, really, I wish I could stop time and ask each one of you that question who are in Christ. Because I know our proclivities go back to temple model living. And go back to that time when you were young in Christ, new in Christ, and it was all unbelievable. You couldn't get enough. And I would just ask, Christ dying for you, you making that real, the difference Christ made in your life, has all that been in vain? See, what Paul doesn't do is give them shoulds. He doesn't should all over them. You should do this. You should do that. Shame on you. That doesn't take place in this letter to Galatians. He brings them back to the cross. He brings them back to the Holy Spirit. He brings them back to that experience when they came to Christ by faith. And he says, why would you leave that? 
If you came to Christ in faith and, and newness was in you and you were growing in Christ by faith, what makes you think the do's, the be's, the should is going to change your life? It won't. Now, there's a place, and that's what I'm going to email you about, for the do's, the, the be's, the don'ts. But what Paul's saying is those aren't your Savior. That makes you the Savior, not the Savior the Savior. Focus on God, on the cross, on the Spirit. Never leave the experience of coming to Christ. You see this all over the Psalms. Are you take, if you're taking notes, Psalm 42. David's like, he's going through a dry period in his life. Has anyone ever done that spiritually? Okay, good job, angel. And he says, um, as a deer pants for water, my soul pants for you. Where can I go and meet God? And he goes, what am I going to do? In verse 4, he says this. These things I remember. He goes back to the experience. Psalm 103, different time. He was there again. And in Psalm 103, he says, talking to his soul that went dry. And he's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord and forget not his benefits. And he's recurring the faithfulness of God. So important. So important. So back to Earl. November 5th, 1982. What do I do now? He could have dumped on me a bunch of dues. That morning he could have said, okay, what do you do? Here's what you do. Um, let's start with this. You need to have a quiet time. Oh, okay. Quiet time. What's a quiet time? Well, that's when you're quiet before God. Okay, quiet before God. Um, how long should it be? About an hour. Oh, wow. Hour. Quiet time. <laughs> Okay, and then you should pray. You should pray. Oh, okay, pray. Uh, let's pray. That's when you talk to God. Oh, okay, talking to God. And then read your Bible. Oh, where do I start? Let's start in Genesis. And if you do this five chapters a week, uh, a day, you'll get through it in a year. You'll have a little trouble in Leviticus, but don't worry about that. Just pledge through right there. Okay, read my Bible. And uh, King James, and it's got to be big. Oh, King James, it's got to be big. And then you tithe. Tithe. Hey, I don't know that language. We don't use it in our fraternity. What is tithe? Oh, that's when you give 10% of your money to God. Oh, 10%. Wow. Okay. And then you should go to church. Oh, okay, church. Go to these churches. Okay. Oh, and go to Sunday school too. That's four hours every Sunday. Oh, oh, four hours. And I'm not down on any of this. Let me be really clear. Okay. Oh, and then, then, this summer you need to go on a mission trip. Oh, oh. Summer mission. What's that? Oh, that's when you pour all your collective ignorance on a poor, unsuspecting foreign culture. But you'll feel better because of it. So just do it. Oh, oh okay. Go on a mission trip. I'd leave that. I mean, that's all like a weight on me. I'd be leaving like, oh, I'm so happy to be in Christ now. This is so cool. You know what he said to me? He reshared the gospel with me. First thing he did. He goes, let me tell you what happened in your life. And he told me the story of Jesus coming to earth. I, I could get choked up and, and go there right now and just be a blubbering mess. And he said, you know what? And now just grow in love with Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit in you. I would encourage you to start with the Gospel of John and learn who Jesus is. You may want to write some questions down, and I'll meet with you as much as you want to help you along the way. It was unbelievable how he set me free on the grace model. What's your plan for growth? Grace or rules? Grace or temple? Trying or trusting? I'm telling you right now, the rules will leave you flat. They'll change your behavior, maybe. But you'll just end up prideful or full of shame.
grace is what transforms your heart. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. As we go into a time of confession that Brian leads, would you guide us from here? We need you and love you. Lord, I pray that we would have um, temple model repellent when it comes to our thinking. And Lord, we'd sweetly and willingly walk in freedom to those things that you have for us, like gathering as a church, like gathering in Sunday schools, like going to foreign cultures and joining with people to build the kingdom of God. Lord, may it never be about us and rules ever in this church. We pray this in Christ's name. Everyone said? Listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.